It's not easy for kids growing up today. Society used to agree on its talking points about what was normal and what wasn't, but now mixed messages are the new normal. And this is especially true for women. Unfortunately, that last part is not new. Today, we say that it's wrong to view women as sexual objects, but Hollywood, Madison Avenue, and the pop music industry have been exploiting women's sexuality for decades. Oddly, it seems that those who purport to fight for women's rights in our country have largely ignored that for entertainment value and financial return. And though our men, the fathers, husbands, boyfriends, and sons in our culture, are the largest targeted market for this exploitation of women, even today's victim mentality culture says little about how these same men might also be victims themselves of this apparent misogyny. And that brings us to today's program where we ask again, as we do each week, what's a parent to do? What responsibilities do we have to help stem the tide of these double standards and gross hypocrisies? We'll talk about that next on Licensed to Parent. Hello and welcome to Licensed to Parent, one of the few programs reminding you of what used to be called common sense. It's a discussion about culture and the modern family, but through the lens of a biblical worldview. The wisdom we pass on comes from God's Word, of course, but it's tested day after day at the Proving Ground of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long, Christ-centered residential program for troubled teens and, by extension, their families. Our host on Licensed to Parent is the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, Trace Embry. I'm Rich Rosel, and Trace, we hear so much today about men, particularly old white men, causing all the pain and suffering in the world, but even more particularly as it applies to the exploitation of women. But what we rarely hear, if we ever hear it at all, I suppose, is that women themselves may also have a significant role in their own exploitation. And to the degree that that may be continuing to happen today, you would say that Christian parents can be having their own impact on mitigating this sexploitation of women, if you will, just by how they train and interact with their kids in the home. How do you think this works? Yeah, I really think they can. Uh, but I also think it's going to take a spiritual awakening to do it uh, because I see way too many Christian parents complicit with their Christian kids in contributing to a lot of this nonsense without even realizing it. Uh, you know, in some cases, it's purely uh, ignorance or naivety, uh, while in other cases, it's simply blatant hypocrisy. You know, we were talking with Tucker Carlson from Fox News on a previous program, yeah. and uh, he was talking about how obvious things uh, should be when it comes to parenting our kids, particularly as it pertains to Christian parents uh, and their kids. But I'm absolutely astonished, Rich, as to just how obvious things are not even to Christian parents these days. And I don't mean to be overly critical or judgmental or self-righteous or hard-nosed about this, but I do want to bring a dose of reality into the equation. It's harder to down the unbelievers of the world for, for their sin and the exploitation of, of, of anyone, but you know they're just fulfilling their job description because only by the grace of God go I. I, I get it. Stay on that point for just a moment, though. They're fulfilling their job description. That's mm -hmm. absolutely right. We right. can't condemn those who are apart from God for doing what they do based yeah. on their sinful nature because that is their nature. We're the ones who are supposed to be removed from that That's exactly and, and right. cleansed from that. Yeah. So we got to look at our own selves right. first. Right, and we can't win them if we don't have a starting place <laughs> to begin with. Right. Christians are supposed to be the enlightened ones. So, you know, what am I talking about here? Well, the thrust of today's broadcast is what parents can do to give their kids a healthy perspective on godly womanhood. 
Because I think when women are being exploited, Rich, very often men are being exploited at the same time, albeit in different ways. And this is particularly true in the case of pornography. But for the sake of this program, we want to specifically talk about helping our daughters to become everything God meant for them to be. Yet in the process, we will be talking about our sons as well. But all the hoopla in the media these days is about how men are exploiting women. And I happen to think that there's more to the story than meets the eye. There always is. So we're going to talk about that with today's guest, a person with whom I happen to be very well acquainted. Well, and well you should. In a world where checks and balances are so important, today's guest helps keep you in check here somewhat uh, here at Shepherd's Only Academy. cash here, buddy. <laughs> Her name is Allison Wallace, and she is the Director of Program Development at Shepherd's Hill. But equally important, Allison is your daughter. She's uh, actually one of the few people who's grown up here at Shepherd's Hill, and that's something that gives her a unique perspective. She saw healthy, well-balanced families, but also saw more than her share of families that were out of balance and teens that were on the brink of disaster. Allison, by the way, studied counseling psychology and developmental psychology at Toccoa Falls College and has been a part of the residential care here at Shepherd's Hill for her entire adult life, holding the position of Girls Wilderness Program Supervisor from 2006 to 2013 when she became the Director of Program Development. She is herself the parent of a three-year-old, and uh, she is a repeat offender on License to Parent, meaning she's been a guest here before. (laughs) Well, Allie, welcome back to License to Parent. Thanks. Glad to be here. You thought you could escape it, but (laughs) no, we've dragged Um, you back in. (laughs) Listen, uh, you have brothers, you have a sister, and uh, you're a 32-year-old wife and mother of a three-year-old daughter. I haven't briefed you on any of the questions I'll be asking you today, so I'm really curious to find out, generally speaking, what's your take on the popular concern about women being sexually exploited these days, coming from a 32-year-old? Yeah, I'd say my biggest concern, I think, is the hypocrisy and the and the argument that they want to, we want to be treated a certain way, which is respectful and um, with equality in the workplace, which I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I um, of course, women should be respected. Both men and women should be respected. Um, but then there's complaints of uh, being sexually harassed or sexually exploited. And I think, you know, if we really want to have credence in that argument, then we need to be more mindful of the way that we're conducting ourselves in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And you, you've always had a lot to say about modesty, particularly as it pertains to dress and particularly as it pertains to females and how they present themselves in public, whether they be adults or kids, the workplace or in church or public or wherever. Most Christian parents, I think, understand the importance of their daughters dressing appropriately. But the word appropriate can be a relative term to a lot of people that leaves room for a wide variety of tastes and boundaries. And so this leaves room for other Christian parents and and their kids to feel that the line of demarcation between appropriate and inappropriate apparel, you know, might be blurred uh, to the point of thinking that perhaps there's really no line at all. Uh, Do you have any insight into this as to, you know, how we can uh, better determine what might be appropriate, what might be causing our brother to stumble? Uh, Is that even an issue? Yeah, I think when— you know, the topic of modesty comes up and we think about dress and, and how women are, are wearing their clothes. I think that's just a symptom issue of a much deeper rooted problem, which is the heart behind of why they're doing what they're doing and what kind of attention um, they're seeking. 
and why they're doing that. I think I read some statistics the other day that said 55% of our communication is in the physical, is in our body language and how we conduct ourselves. Mm-hmm. 35 is in our tone and only 7% is in our, our verbal and what we say. Mm-hmm. And so that's my big issue with the Me Too movement is that they're saying a lot of good things and they're um, promoting a lot of good things for women, but yet they're not putting action behind that as far as the battle at the root of the problem, which would be Hollywood themselves and what they're exploiting in magazines and movies and music and how they're projecting a very loud message that this is what women are to be like. This is appealing. This is sexy. This is powerful. And this so, is lucrative. Right. And so they're they're teaching these young girls that sexual power is what they need to be um, going after. If they're mm-hmm. going to matter in this world or get that attention because there's this innate desire in all women to be desired, to be fought for. Mm-hmm. And those are all good things cultivated in the right way. And so they're they're taking this and they're exploiting that vulnerability in women that we do want to be desired when they're saying this is the only way you're going to get desired. And yet, but then they say, don't disrespect us. Don't mm-hmm. give us the attention. Um, you know, don't look at us a certain way. Uh, and so it's very confusing and um, not fair to put all of the blame on the on the male side of the problem. So they're being groomed and yet helping to groom themselves in, in some instances for this type of exploitation. You know, I, I think of the times where I've seen, I've seen this in movies. I think I've seen it in real life where uh, a gal will come in a restaurant or a building, office building, with this low-cut shirt, and some guy is staring at this, right? And she, she gets all upset that he's, he's staring. And I'm thinking, he's wired to do that. Do you not understand as a female th- that you're projecting that nonverbal that you talked about Where's the culpability on the side of women? And, and again, I'm not blaming women here. I'm trying to create a balance to say that, you know, I think this could be a little bit of a more of a two-way street than we think. Yeah, I it might be a funny analogy, but in my mind, I feel like it's the same thing of taking like this fresh, you know, hot piece of chocolate cake that just looks super good and taking it in front of like a chocoholic's face and waving it around mm-hmm. and saying, you can't have a bite, you can't have this cake, and then being offended when they're like, can you share with me? Right. And then it's like, how dare you even right. ask that? Yeah. Um, it just doesn't make sense. We have a part to play in this problem today, and we need to stop, you know, putting our head in the sand and acting like, you know, we're the, the innocent party with with no uh, part to play. And I'm not saying that women are, um, you know, b- if they're beautiful or they dress nice, then, they, you know, that's their fault if they're you know, harassed or assaulted in some way. That absolutely not. But I am saying that we need to make sure we're doing our part to uh, require the respect that we want um, because we can't have it both ways. Yeah. I'm just curious about this. So, Trace, you've brought up the the kind of the the two edged sword here, and the and the dual culpability, both that that men and women have in this. And Allison, you've referenced it as well. What role do you think that a Christian man, maybe may a, a dad or a brother, has in this whole conversation? 
Well, I mean, I think they need to be doing their their best to show by example. If it if it's a Christian man of a husband, um, you know, who has sons in the home, he needs to be showing by example how to treat his wife. You know, being chivalrous. I don't really think anybody even knows what that means anymore. Yeah, it's a lost word. Um, yeah, and um, and so ironically, you know, women are like, "Don't open my door. I can open my own." Um, and so they've become so pushed for equality so much that um, here we are and they don't like it, you know. I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, being feminine and embracing that femininity. I think actually the feminist movement is becoming more sexist than anything because they're making women feel like there's something wrong with being feminine. And racist too. Yeah, and so to answer your your question, um, Rich, and I went on a little bit of a, a side trail there, but I think that men need to be showing their sons in the home. This is how you treat a woman, by the way they treat their wife, by how they disagree with their wife, by how um, they do open the door for them and care for them. Um, Not, you know, babying them or belittling them or condescending them, but treating them as someone who is valued and treasured. It it seems to me that what I'm hearing in culture, and, and this comes out in this conversation, is the fact that we're fighting for femininity. We say femininity is a good thing, but we yeah. mustn't confuse femininity with sexuality. Mm-hmm. Because being being a feminine woman and, and fighting for femininity is not the same thing as fighting for being sexual all the time. Well, the problem mm-hmm. we have in our culture today is you, you have to define femininity because it's being confused with feminism. Right. You know, and then there's different kinds of feminism. So because of postmodern thought, everyone's defining things their own way, and we're dividing, we're splitting hairs and these nuances and whatnot. I'm telling you, guys really don't know whether to spit or wind their watch. Do I open a door? Am I going to get slapped for that, or am I going to get yeah. slapped for not opening it? Opening I've it? had to defend that, too, because <laughs> I've had women say, don't open the door for me, and I just say— Look, I was raised that this is the polite thing to do, and yeah. I open the door for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do. Yeah. But, you know, personally, between you and me, I also specifically open the door for women. Yeah. We're talking with Allison Wallace. She is the Director of Program Development at Shepherd's Hill Academy, our parent organization, which is a little odd to say when we are a parenting program. But we're talking today about where the lines of demarcation are as far as appropriate attitudes, appropriate actions, appropriate dress, appropriate makeup for young ladies as they grow into being women in a society where culture says women are being victims, but women themselves often put themselves in that position and what the role of men is in trying to correct this as well. It's a challenging conversation. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Licensed to Parent. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by screens. Have we entered into a techno-utopia or a virtual prison? Prison. Prison. Is our social experience richer and deeper or more shallow and artificial? Discover insightful answers to these questions in the documentary DVD, Captivated, Finding Freedom in a Media-Captive Culture. You'll learn from media experts, church leaders, and inspiring individuals and families from across the country, including Trace Embry and students from Shepherd's Hill Academy. Most importantly, you'll discover how God's Word addresses the unique media challenges we face today. Captivated, finding freedom in a media-captive culture. Available in the store at LicensedToParent.org. 
proceeds benefit the Shepherds Hill Academy Scholarship Fund. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherds Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherd's Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherd's Hill Ministries and licensed parents to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. And as a reminder, if you've missed any of our past conversations, you can find them all right there on our website, licensedtoparent.org. Trace? Well, Ali, we haven't referred to Scripture uh, much in this broadcast about this subject, but without God in the equation, uh, why should our sons see women any differently than the objects that Hollywood, Madison Avenue and the pop music industry that Rich talked about in the opening, uh, have trained our sons to see them as. Yeah, I think uh, without God in the equation, it would be scarier. You think of Christ in the New Testament. He was the ultimate advocate for the for the women and treating them with kindness and, and loving them. And even, you know, people who were adulterers or uh, prostitutes, and yet he was able to treat them kindly and respectfully also saying, you know, the actions were wrong, but to be respectful and, and loving to them. And so I think um, without that standard, it could be a scary place. Mm-hmm. So how do we convince our teen daughters that scriptural principles of wisdom and modesty are still relevant for today? Is, is this uh, something that the pastors are a little bit uh, lax on? Are dads falling down on this equation? Have moms bought way too into the style of the the secular world? Where's that line? Yeah, I think it goes back, well, the scripture that comes to mind for me is be in the world, but not of the world. I think uh, Christians are trying to be too relevant and therefore they're compromising standards that um, would set them apart. I think there's nothing wrong with trying to uh, relate to others, but when that comes at a cost of you know, throwing uh, down your standards or your morals with that, then it's going to come at a price. Yeah, well, relevance has led to appetite and appetite to conformity and uh, conformity to the consequences that go along with a lot of that. But you don't know that every guy you're encountering, even in church, is going to be a guy with any moral restraint that he has plugged God into the equation. Right. We, we can't assume that just because you're in church— that you've already been saved, sanctified, you know, that you're past the point, not that anyone, frankly, is based on how we're wired, past the point of temptation. Yeah. You know, we're still tempted. Even the Christians. I mean, they're still— Sure. I mean, look at King David, you know, uh, still a victim of temptation, a man after God's own heart. And I'm just thinking that maybe our daughters, and, you know, you've got Lily at three years old at home, 
that these conversations, as you mentioned earlier, need to be had now in a way that they can be understood so that when they're groomed, I mean, when I was raising you, you knew from a young age, if you're going to date, fine, but dad or mom or at least a brother is going to be a chaperone. And that made you a little more choosy about making wise decisions in that realm. Am I right or wrong? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I definitely thought about those things a lot more. Than, it wasn't just a flippant decision. It was going to be a an interrogation or a, a long sit-down. <laughs> Inquisition. Or, yeah, did I want to go even go through that? Was the guy even worth it? Um, and a lot of times it, it pushed me in a direction of just hang out in group settings, get to know people, get to be their friend. And then once you do is that when you really know them in that way is that um, a direction you want that relationship to head. And um, doing, you know, that prevented me from even wanting to head in a romantic relationship most of the time because you get to know someone and think we're not compatible in that way yeah. or I'm not interested in them that way. Yeah. Well, it, it looks like things worked out for you. You've got a, a wonderful husband who <laughs> plays an integral part in uh, Shepherd's Hill Academy. You've got a beautiful daughter. It just seems like, you know, at at your age, you guys are kind of living a dream here, uh, basically earning your living working for God. And I guess I don't really know uh, the best way from a female perspective uh, how to make young girls understand when they're going through those dating years, 15, 16 years old, 17 years old, how to make them understand what a concerned father feels. You know, I used to tell you, you know, I, I've been 16, you've never been 45 or whatever. Uh, and I, I don't know if that helped at all, but what kind of plan specifically do you have for Lily that she might not find her total identity in her sexuality? Do you have anything brewing or is it too early? Uh, I think about it all the time because that's the one area in her life, you know, um, that I'm most worried about because I, I look at culture and I see how messed up everything is and how sexualized it is. And I think about um, just the issues that we see a lot of the teens at Shepherd's Hill come and what they deal with. A lot of it's, you know, a party scene or, you know, experimenting with drugs and, you know, bad relationships and sexual relationships. And I think I was just telling someone this in the office the other day that if there's anything that I could say, there's one thing I just really don't want her to get mixed up in. It's the sexual stuff because it has such um, lasting consequences. Right. And I was telling um, them, I'm trying to think of how I grew up and what was done or what I did or what my thought process was that kept me from, you know, um, getting involved in all of those things. And I want to repeat that for her. But I think it was just, A, I had healthy relationships with my parents. I saw a healthy relationship between my parents. Dad, you, who um, gave me good boundaries and I could have security in those boundaries. I also had healthy relationships with other guys, you know, my brothers, and was exposed to um, a lot of other guys because of their friends. So I interacted with guys on a friend basis, and I think I felt because I was I had strong family ties and a strong family system that I had a security in that, mm -hmm. and I didn't have to go out and look for that security elsewhere. Also, there was accountability in that. And I think that's a huge one too, because I'm, I'm a very social person. So I was always wanting to be right in the middle of all the... Yeah, you're the, an eye personality. Yeah. And so I, I think if that wasn't 
cultivated well or given certain boundaries. It could have been a, a very much a loose cannon, but there were boundaries and you follow through with them and it you would check up on me. And so it was just, um, I, I felt like even if I made the wrong decision, I'd probably get caught and I didn't, you know, it wouldn't be <laughs> worth it. So, um, we have spies everywhere. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. It just like wasn't worth the trouble of what I would have taken to like pull anything off. So, but I- Go ahead. No, I had that and um, but but I just think the security and the the, the strong family system that we had as well. But I think a lot of parents would think uh, of me, maybe and, and and mom as being a little bit too strict and maybe even neurotic about it. Maybe nut jobs or not practical or or whatever. What kind of comfort can you bring to parents uh, when they have a 16, 17 year old daughter that? Uh, they're not getting along with too well right now mm-hmm. because they just they they can't see beyond the emotion of it or the the instant gratification of it. Do you have any encouragement for a parent who feels like they can't ever say or do the right thing with their child, knowing uh, that in the long run what they're doing is a must, but it's not maybe cultivating the greatest relationship at the moment? Because I know you and mom. I mean, you guys are like. You're Mutt and Jeff. I mean, you yeah. <laughs> you go everywhere together. You you know stuff that you know best friends would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, you know, mom was never really the big disciplinarian number one. So like when when we were growing up, I didn't have to battle her as much. Um, but one thing she would always she was always on your side with that, and so I think that mm-hmm. again. Helps with the security factor, but sure. um, it was you and I because you were the one that laid a lot of the boundaries down. Um, and I think we probably didn't have like a a peaceful relationship until I don't know um, early twenties. And really, when I started um, dating Josh and and then got married, it was like an appreciation. And probably the closer I got to my frontal lobe being fully developed. <laughs> um, but I, I think if a parent is going through that right now. And they're feeling like they're at odds with their child because of the boundaries that they're putting and they're protecting them. Um, chances are in this culture, then you can pat yourself on the back because it means you're doing the right thing. Um, I think we are going to have to look very different than cultural other cultural parents out there. Um, even pa- parents in the church. They're compromising too much, becoming mm-hmm. too relevant, want their children right. to partake in everything that the other kids are partaking in. Including and, parties. Right. And so they're building in their mind that this is important. I have to be um, involved here. I have to um, get in the midst of all of these uh, these things and uh, be relevant. And so they're sending the mixed messages. And some of them, they're living their lives through their kids. Right. Or they want their kids to be popular. They right. want their kids to experience the things that they didn't get to experience. Yeah. And so not having a very long-term outlook on that. Yeah. Charles Stanley once said, he said, if you walk too close to the pool long enough, you're going swimming. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we need to bring it into today's program. Allie, thanks so much for mm-hmm. being with us today Thank once you. again. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent has been Allison Wallace. Allison is the Director of Program Development at Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for troubled teens located in North Georgia. If you have a teen in crisis or you know of one, you can find out more about Shepherds Hill by going to helpmytroubledteen.org or simply by clicking on the link to Shepherds Hill Academy on our website, licensedtoparent.org. 
A reminder that the work we do here on this program and at Shepherd's Hill Academy is only possible because of the generous support of people just like you. The cost of residential care is very expensive, and many families simply can't afford it without some sort of assistance. Your tax-deductible financial gift in any amount can help hurting families get the help they need, and that, in turn, can help change the life of a young person who can then change his or her community and the world. But it all starts with you. So won't you please consider making a donation today and becoming one of our ministry partners? It's easy and quick to do, and it's secure when you click the Donate tab at the top of the page at LicensedToParent.org. That's LicensedToParent.org. Our technical producer on Licensed to Parent is Carl Peets. For Trey Simbry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to tell a fellow parent about us, and then join us again next time to renew your Licensed to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.